Did you ever braid a maypole when you were a little kid? We, we always braided the maypole. If the maypole is the gospel, then everything else weaves around and becomes part of that configuration. But if the maypole is something else, if it's wealth, if it's social standing, think of all the things that can be the most important thing you write. If that's what you're braiding to, uh, however honorable that is, we're going to end up in trouble because some of our colors aren't going to work. I can only braid the gospel maple. We're going to love each other and keep the commandments, and then we'll make everything else fit. And then the strands of that little beautiful little pole can work. I'm Sarah Jane Weaver, editor of The Church News. Welcome to The Church News Podcast. We are taking you on a journey of connection as we discuss news and events of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Elder Jeffrey R. Holland and his wife, Sister Patricia Terry Holland, have dedicated their lives to The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. In this special episode of The Church News Podcast... Part two of a special two-part series, they continue their conversation with Sister Sherry Dew. The interview was taped just before the world celebrated Easter. They teach us what it means to be disciples of Jesus Christ and remember the miracle of Easter every day of the year. Elder Holland of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles has served as a general authority since April 1989 and is the former president of BYU. Sister Holland served as a counselor in the Young Woman General Presidency. They are joined today by guest host Sister Sherry Dew, a former member of the Relief Society General Presidency and the Executive Vice President of Deseret Management Corporation. Through this incredible interview, we all get to glimpse the Holland's testimony, their leadership, their service, and how they have made a difference for Latter-day Saints and others across the globe. Let's switch uh, notes here for just a second or switch topics if we could. I want to go back, maybe exercise a personal privilege here for a moment and say, in some ways, I feel like I've grown up following both of you, your teachings. And as a young stake relief site president, latched onto a statement from Sister Patricia Holland. And the statement was, if I can do justice to it, if I were Satan and wanted to destroy a society, I would stage a full-blown blitz on women. That caught my attention several decades ago when I first heard it, and it's run through my mind hundreds and hundreds of times because of what I think is profoundly true about that statement. Now, since you gave that statement in what I think was the early 80s, a lot of things have changed for women. I think we see those challenges manifest among us. I'd just love for you to comment, both of you, if you would, about sisters in the church, the importance of sisters in the church, and the reality of why would the adversary be interested in targeting women? Well, the reality to me is that if you can target a woman and get her thrown off being centered in Christ, someone who's just attached to the world or the children come last and the children know that, and it's just that primarily. And then we have the same challenges now that we always had. They're just deeper. They're darker. They're more inflamed, so to speak. 
I was the junior member of the Quorum of the Twelve in an auditorium setting, some training setting we were in. Must have been around General Conference. But I think it was nearly my first, first or second uh, year or conference in, in the Twelve. And President Packer, who was the president of the Quorum, said, uh, I want the Twelve to stand up. We were in the Joseph Smith Memorial in a training setting. And so we stood up, not exactly sure what he wanted from senior to junior, as we do all things. And he got emotional and said, behold the twelve. And uh, then some of us got emotional, too. I certainly was feeling in uh, out of, out of uh, my element uh, in the wrong company. Uh, one of these things is not like the other uh, eleven, you know. Um, but then he said something I've never forgotten. He said, they had the most widely varied, different, even difficult set of fathers. But in every case, they had an angelic mother. Mm -hmm. And actually, that was all My true. Goodness. Yeah. We had everybody from <clears throat> Tom Perry's dad, who was a, his bishop and stake president all of his life, down to some of our other dads who weren't either active or even members. You had that spread of fathers. Mm -hmm. I'm not minimizing fathers. I've given lots of speeches about what fathers are supposed to be. But in this case, it was a, it was a lesson about mothers and said, regardless of whatever else was, was uh, unusual, man for man, uh, all the way down that line, they had angelic mothers is the phrase that they used. And uh, so that's still true. But I remember with young women, we worried about the same things, that they would be tempted to stay out of the home, that they would be more interested in clothing, hair, makeup, and all the things of the world, tangible things like new cars, new house, or whatever. But I believe that it's, time with children, time to listen and hear and feel. And a mother can do that in a way that nobody else can do. And I felt that deeply, deeply, truly. And the same goes for the women today. Those are the still basically the same challenges like they, women want to do as well as men. And that's great. That's wonderful. And I think they do that in the church. They have an opportunity. It's just when that when you're enticed to have it be part of your pride, part of position, part of place. If women could just see in terms of what the Lord sees, the role of women is incredible. Whatever she's doing, she's going to be a mother. Wherever she is in life, she's a woman, and she'll always feel like a mother, and she can mother. And so, you know, if they're focused on what they can give rather than what they can give. Those who have more time can spend their time mothering. It's a nurturing kind of thing, teaching the gospel. And that's basically the most powerful thing they can do. If you spend five minutes in prayer in the morning, it pays such big dividends in the day because it changes the way you think. God has the ability to do that. He gives us intuition when we invite him. He just does. There's a vibration that goes on that's just 
real and you're worth beyond what you can imagine. If you believe, and the more time you spend with God, the more you believe, the deeper you believe, the more you know him as a God of love. He's a God of happiness. He's a God of, I'll do anything to help you. I'm a God of forgiveness. I'm a God of patience as you develop. My arm will be around you all the time. And as Pat said, mothering, both of you have taught. Mothering with a capital M uh, isn't limited to your own children. It's something instinctive. It's something about what a woman is. It's something about what Eve was. And the crowning virtue, the crowning accomplishment, the crowning achievement of the creation sequence is the creation of a woman. It was nice to divide the land from the sea, and it was nice to divide the fish from the fowl. But even when we get to Adam, you know, uh, the next thing we hear is he's trying to name some animals. And so, you know, they weren't his best friend, uh, <laughs> dogs or otherwise. Uh, he needed a real companion, a help meet for him, two different words. Uh, and so Eve is uh, this ultimate creation, a woman. And uh, that's still true in homes. It's still true in society. Um, it's just an eternal principle. And that's not to be uh, sexist, even in a uh, an unintended way, uh, even in a cultural way. It's doctrine. It's theology. So you've been around the world a zillion times and been in... Uh, is it hundreds or thousands of meetings? What impact have you seen women have in the church? I think the very thing that my husband's talking about, I've said that it's not a head count of our children. We don't measure ourselves by that. But Eve's it's a statement about our nature. And if I could do anything, I'd have all the women girdle the world with their mothering natures. And I think would be actually when we're all finished, we're going to say the most important thing really that we need to do, learn, know, teach is love. And I think a that, woman could do that yeah. so beautifully, and the spirit comes so quickly. And that mothering doesn't mean uh, goo goo with Junior and you know here in swaddling clothes. It can mean that. It does mean that. But it is it is this other. It's how they teach. It's what they feel. It's uh, how they testify. And that can be for whole congregations. I've seen her mother, as it were, a whole congregation. And if I could have my way, I've done this for 33 and a half years now. If I could have my way after a teaching session, state conference, leadership training meeting, Saturday night meeting for adults, you, you name it. If I could have my way every time, every time after I'm through speaking and the meeting is to close, I would wish that a woman was giving the prayer. That doesn't mean that men can't pray. I've heard wonderful male prayers. Uh, I don't want to keep qualifying these things. Uh, I don't want somebody to run away with this culturally or, or in society. Sure. I'm just talking doctrine and spirit and theology and uh, what I feel. And a woman closing a meeting 
will tell me every time, every single solitary time, whether it's worked or not, whether it's uh, come across the way I had hoped that it would. And uh, I may or may not be able to tell that from a man's prayer, but I can always tell it, always tell it from a woman. You've both had periods of time in the last decade when you've had some real health challenges. What have you learned from those? Well, I don't think faith is faith until it's all you have to hang on to. And we were both in our different kinds of illnesses. We were both driven to the point where it was life and death. And so faith was the only thing we had to hold on to. Not just your faith, but the faith of your children, your husband, your friends. Everybody can join in their faith, and everybody gets to have these miraculous things. They have the privilege of seeing them, and they have the grand intuition to add to that in every way. So I felt like everything I've done that's been a challenge has driven me closer and closer to the Lord everything. And I don't think you can have dark days without having light, or light without having dark. We need both of them so that they can inspire each other, or light can't be light if it's too dark, if there's nothing there to lean on to. And God always provides another day. It's always going to be another day, and that kind of hope carries you in every way. And that was just a refined microcosm with a magnifying glass. In a short to period of time, mm-hmm. relatively. Yeah, read. Mm-hmm. I'm a living witness. I'm exhibit A of what it means for the members of the church to pray for the brethren. Now, kids grow up in homes. Homes are built around family prayer. Senior citizens from day one have all prayed for the brethren, you you know. Uh, They may use slightly different language. I'm sure they always pray for the president of the church, but pretty often if they'll pray for the president of the church, they'll throw the Quorum of the Twelve in uh, with that. And I'm a witness. Her miracle is every bit as great as mine, and more so, actually, hers is more so. But I don't know that the church knew uh, that she was as ill as she was, they knew I was because they could see it. I was on the stage. So they could pray for me. And uh, whether that was a collective prayer for the brethren or whether it was for Elder Holland, who's somehow got a problem up there, we can see. Uh, I've come back from being told I might never walk again to a wheelchair, to a walker with legs, to a walker with wheels. <laughs> to a cane, to nothing. And uh, that involved uh, a lot of physical therapy, too, and hard work, but only only hard work and, and therapy that mattered because it was in the context of people praying and uh, blessings received and, and a family, a wife and children and others praying. Uh, that was true for me, and, and it was true a little bit earlier for her. Uh, one more private, the other more public, but same principle that uh, prayer really works. Priesthood blessings really do count. The Lord's in charge. We all have problems. 
man's extremity is God's opportunity. It just goes on and on. We learn those lessons. And uh, Elder Maxwell said about his illness that it had given him empathy. I think his phrase was earned empathy mm. in a Maxwellian mm. uh, mm. phrase. And I think that's probably what this, ours have done for us, to know that real people out there have real problems. And uh, real fears, real fears. And they put a smile on mm -hmm. and put one foot ahead of the other and get up every day to to go face it. But they they do so with burdens. And you don't know challenges. how it's going to end. You don't know, mm -hmm. you know, what you'll have to face. Right. It was as hard for me to work myself back out of pneumonia as it was. I was so sick. I just said, let me go. <laughs> so I hardly knew what was going on there. But the hard, arduous work. And the hope and faith you have that because your children have prayed for you and they fasted mm -hmm. and your husband's prayed for you and fasted and they all have faith, that gives you the determination to do the therapy, to climb stairs. I couldn't walk up one stair or set of stairs when I first got out of the hospital. And it just took a long time to build my lungs up. Mm -hmm. And I think we learned to appreciate yeah. each other. Yeah, you yeah. Know, <laughs> Well, I mean, and, we've always appreciated yeah. each other, but if you get to the point where you think you're going to lose something of value, and this is so valuable. And the other part of you. Yeah, yes. Yeah. Right. Sure. Then, yeah, that's, the, that's, the, that's where you really pray. That's where there's no, no holds barred, you know, really very personal experiences where you just uh, put it all on the line mm -hmm. for somebody you love. And... Those are lessons that you learn and realize that other people are out there needing to offer those prayers almost every day to mm -hmm. to to keep going. And just a lot of empathy, a lot of understanding. That's one of the reasons I've been wanting to be fairly public about mine. I haven't hidden anything. Uh, the use of a cane or or the inability to get back and forth to a pulpit. I've wanted people to understand that uh, if they're struggling out there a little bit. Uh, we know how you're our, doing. Our leaders have struggles yeah, too. Yeah, our leaders have struggles too. And if we knew all of the hurdles that a President Nelson had to overcome or mm -hmm. or a, mm -hmm. a President Oaks or Irene or go on down the list or mm -hmm. uh, any age and any time, uh, we've watched the brethren grow old. We've watched them face mm -hmm. issues and their wives and their families. So uh, we've been able to teach about that. I uh, sometimes get... Uh, a little exercise, you, you know, my pulpit style, I, I get, I, I breathe the fire uh, on occasion. And, and I talk about the fact that people, when they have a bad day, if the first reaction is, well, God doesn't love me, I said, boy, then you've eliminated a lot of people. You've just taken a lot of people out of the uh, equation, uh, starting with the people in the scriptures, mm -hmm. and maybe uh, most of all, the living son of the living God, you know. Uh, if he has a bad day, if he has trouble, does that mean God doesn't love him? And uh, because that is a tendency, we all we all say, "Well, where's God when I need him?" Or you know, "Why did I pay all that tithing if it isn't going to work out for me?" Well, it, it's been a challenge for the best people I've ever known, and certainly the best people I've ever read about. Uh, you, you learn those, and there's no easy way to do that. There's no cheap way to to do that. Elder Holland, you have had a, you have amazing gifts of expression, and you've had a gift for when you speak and teach, with energy and with with emotion. We can feel it. That's part of what we love. We can feel it. 
but you've also had a gift for reaching out and touching so many of us because uh, maybe our life hasn't turned out exactly like we hoped it would, or there's mental illness, or you just touched in conference on suicide. You've taken on some tough things, and it has seemed clear that you want to touch the soul, touch the heart, help everybody feel that they have a place. And yet on the other side of the equation, a prophet, seer, and revelator can't always say what some people would want them to say. Sure. Because sometimes you've got to teach something that's just hard to hear. How do you deal with that as a prophet, seer, and revelator charged with teaching truth and you want to touch every human soul? in the most tender way possible. Well, you've put your finger on uh, among the most difficult things that we do and face. And that is, uh, Paul said, teach the truth with love. And uh, that's that's the standard we all carry. We, we want to teach the truth, but we want to do it right. We want to do it carefully uh, and not give offense where where we shouldn't. But on the other hand, Sometimes the truth offends, uh, and that's no excuse for uh, insensitivity. It's no excuse for bluntness. And so I, I, and I guess everybody else, but certainly I need to work hard as a as a, a member of the Quorum of the Twelve, at just saying it the best possible way uh, that I could that would not hurt anybody needlessly or, or intentionally. But my first obligation is to love God. That's the first commandment. I, I have to be honorable with him and, and in my relationship with God. And then when I do that, I'm entitled, I'm, in, I'm enabled, I'm magnified in order to love my neighbor and help my neighbor. But it's got to be in that order. That the two should go together. They're they're not incompatible, but it is in that order. And uh, let me let me read a verse. Can't get very far. When I I hadn't been in the Quorum of the Twelve very long, un, until I read this verse, and thought, uh, well, that's sobering. These things I command you that you love one another. That's what we're just saying here. If the world hate you, that doesn't quite seem like the right word to follow the, <laughs> yeah. what we just read. Let me get this straight. I'm going to love everybody, and they're going to hate me. <laughs> if the world hate you, know that it hated me before it hated you. This is the Savior. And if we were... It was this night. It was Thursday night of this week that this is said. He's at the Last Supper. Because because tomorrow's Good Friday. Yeah, it was this very hour. Excuse the motion. If the world hate you, know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you. But because you're not of the world, and I've chosen you out of the world, the world hateth you. They shall put you out of the synagogue. Yea, the time cometh that whosoever killeth you 
will think he doeth God service. Well, we're, we're not going to be killed, at least haven't yet. But that's that's sobering to say, I'm going to try my hardest to love you and to say what God wants me to say, who's love himself, who is love personified. And we're going to try to make people happy because happiness is in the commandments. If you love me, keep my commandments. We're going to try to give everybody everything we've got as this key to happiness and success and warmth. And the response is, I hate you. And if I kill you, I'm doing God's service. Now that's that may sound extreme, but those aren't my words. I didn't I didn't cook that up. I just read that in this book here, and uh, you know the Sermon on the Mount. That blessed are ye if if you're persecuted for my name's sake, and 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 those are the those are the peacemakers. Those are the ones who inherit eternal life. But it doesn't sound fun to be persecuted for anybody's sake. But we do it for his sake and do it for his name because that's what we're called to. Here's a very poor analogy. Did you ever braid a maypole when you were a little kid? We, we always braided the maypole. Every May 1st uh, in the elementary school, we braided the maypole. And uh, if the maypole is the gospel, then everything else weaves around and becomes part of that configuration. But if the maypole is something else, then... Prophets, seers, and revelators have trouble if it's gender, if that's the maypole, and everything has to fit that, or if it's ethnic identity, if that's the maypole, and that's first identity, or if it's uh, material uh, wealth, if it's social standing. Think of all the things that can be the most important thing you write. If that's what you're braiding to, then... We have trouble because some of our colors aren't going to work. Some of them aren't going to fit with what you want. I can only braid the gospel maple. And then gender and ethnicity and, and wealth and social standing and politics and whatever have to, have to fit there. That's what I'm called to do. I don't have any choice. And, you know, even politics, something we've seen in, in recent years, Wards divided, uh, fist fighting over, uh, figuratively or literally, over political matters. Elders quorums, you know, uh, uh, unwilling to speak to each other. Uh, over masks and vaccines. Yeah, over vaccines, over, uh, pick, pick, pick a topic. But if, if, if the maple is my political loyalty or my, my health code, uh, however honorable that is, we're going to end up in trouble. It can only be the gospel. We're going to love each other and keep the commandments, and then we'll make politics and society and ethnicity and everything else fit, and God's designed it that that's going to be the perfect pole. But our job is to convince people of that, have them understand that. And everybody wants to be liked. Everybody wants to be popular, uh, popular in the sense of the, the nice fellow, the, the neighborly sort. But if uh, if a choice has to be made uh, for me and my house, we'll have to stand by the call that's been given to us to speak the truth and stay with 
with what's my first identity. My first identity is love of God and love of the Savior of the world and and love of neighbor in 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 that order. And then the the strands of that little beautiful little pole can work. It's hard. So let's take that and we we, we could talk to you forever. Let's build off what you just said, Elder Holland. Uh, we are having this conversation on the Thursday before Good Friday, yep. which means Easter is on Sunday. And um, in this season of the year, this time of year, I'd love to have both of you conclude, if you would, by commenting on something that I think goes hand in hand. And the first is, it seems to be harder and harder in the world today for people to know where to turn for truth hmm. because there are so many voices. Mm-hmm. And yet we do believe that we know where to turn for truth. Mm -hmm. And I'd love to have you comment on that, if you would, and bear your testimonies about what you know is true. Sister Holland, do you want to begin? It is true. The challenges of the world are greater than they've ever been. And they look like they're going to be challenging evermore. And so it's to be able to no, but this is not our home. This is, this is only temporary. We're trying to live so that we can live in the presence of God. And perhaps the only way we get the Garden of Eden on this earth is that everybody loves each other and loves God, and then it will be a Garden of Eden. And I have such testimony that there isn't any person closer to you than your Father in Heaven and he sent his son so that we could see what he's like. If you know me, you know what your father, the Savior, said. And so he is our mediator with the father and the father with him. And there are so many scriptures about if you be in me, I'll be in you, and then we can be all one together. It's the only way we know possibly to live. And the older we get, the longer I live, the more I experiment on Things of, like something in the scripture that I haven't really thought about too much. The more I think about things like that, if I have lived with in the past, it's always, always come back that the people, the blessings that come from that gospel principle, from the Savior of the world, from the New Testament, the Old Testament, and God is through it all. We're the most blessed people on the earth. It's amazing to me how blessed we are, and people can't see that. They just want to, to be part of it, and they will someday. Someday the world will be dark enough that they will flog. Well, you mentioned Easter. We're on the eve of Passover, as it were, reading the very hour that the Savior would be introducing the sacrament to the Twelve. And one of the miracles for me, sort of in the context of all that we've been talking about here, is with all that lay ahead of him, and he might, I, I'm convinced that he knew that intellectually. I am not sure he knew emotionally. I don't. I think that mortal part still had to come along. The suffering that lay ahead, whatever it means to have blood from every pore. 
and to cry out, uh, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? I knew everybody else would run. But to be absolutely alone, or to think he was alone, he was allowed to think he was alone. With all of that coming and, and all of that just ahead, he can say, peace, I leave with you. My peace, I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. These things I have spoken unto you, that in me you might have peace. In the world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. Be of good cheer. I mean, be of good cheer with all of that. It it makes our little problems seem pretty, pretty little, pretty insignificant uh, when you think of that call to be cheerful, to be peaceful, to see it through, to uh, face whatever's going to be faced, and to have a happy ending. Sherry and Sarah, this is the church of the happy endings. This is peace and and cheer and uh, good tidings. This is the good news. And that's has been our privilege. We've had the chance to spend our lives doing the most important thing in life. Now, not many people get to say that. Uh, and a lot of honorable, wonderful people have had to do a lot of difficult challenges, uh, sometimes kind of menial work, sometimes just kind of everyday work, whatever. And it's all honorable. But we've had the chance to do the most important thing in the world uh, with the most important and the most bountiful blessings as Pat has just mentioned, that come from it. And that is to teach that Jesus is the Christ. And in this, in our case, that, that those truths, that peace, that cheer, that promise, that hope has all been restored, starting with a 14-year-old boy who comes out of a grove of trees just realizing that soon enough he's got to save all the living and all the dead who ever walked the earth. Uh, not, not, uh, not bad for a, for a teenage boy. And all of that now to this and and at Easter. And uh, I hope we do a little bit more with Easter. I hope we're a little more conscious of Easter uh, as as a result of, of that, uh, that doctrine and that truth. People ask, I'll close with this, people ask why we don't do more with the cross. And, and we do a lot with the cross. Uh, we don't do as much as some Protestant groups do and others, but... But we talk about the cross, and Christ speaks of of being lifted up in Third Nephi and uh, and lifting uh, men and women and children up to to be with Him. So we have the doctrine of the cross, but there's another aspect where we really are in the forefront, I think, or ought to be, and want to be, and that is the cross that He said we would take up to uh, take up your cross and follow Me whether that's illness, we've talked about health here, whether it's poverty, I hope we could get everybody out of poverty, whether it's mental illness, we've talked about that, whether it's uh, social uh, and ethnic and racial uh, tensions, we have plenty of that in the world. Whatever these things are, if we'll 
burdened that they are and heavy as they may be, if we'll take up that cross in Christ and follow him, we can solve those. We can resolve those. We can resolve poverty. We can resolve racial tension. We can find the answers to mental uh, illness and uh, at least uh, alleviate it greatly and and, and on and on and on. Uh, If we will just take that cross that we're so burdened by and wish it weren't there, if we just hoist that onto our backs and our shoulders and and march toward the sunlight, we can solve all these problems. The gospel, whatever the question, whatever the question, the gospel of Jesus Christ is the answer. And that's what we've had the chance to try to say and declare and represent. And we want to do it better than we have, but we've loved the chance to try. Elder and Sister Holland, thank you. I don't even know how to thank you. You've blessed us. You've blessed us with this. Thank you. Thank you. You have been listening to the Church News Podcast. I'm your host, Church News Editor Sarah Jane Weaver. I hope you have learned something today about the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints by peering with me through the Church News window. Please remember to subscribe to this podcast. And if you enjoyed the messages we shared today, please make sure you share the podcast with others. Thanks to our guests, to my producer, Kellyanne Halverson, and others who make this podcast possible. Join us every week for a new episode. Find us on your favorite podcasting channel or with other news and updates about the church on thechurchnews.com.